0: you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 14 today. We're going to talk about truth and the Gospel. Truth and the Gospel in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 14, the Bible says this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And our main idea for this morning is that tough truth is better than a slick lie. Imagine for a moment, those of you who have children, or those of you who want to one day have children, imagine if there's some type of conspiracy that you're in on with your kid. And here's how the conspiracy goes your child will be given starting place on the football team in terms of quarterback, point guard for the basketball team, and pitcher for the high school baseball team. And every team that they play, the opponents are supposed to allow your child, even if they have zero athletic ability, to win every single time. So that the child thinks that they're basically Michael Jordan, Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ali, they are just the best in the world. Now, also, the teachers are in on this deal to where the teachers always give your kid an over 100 average on everything, no matter if they can't even put 2 plus 2 together. Alright, get the picture? Okay. Okay. So this kid goes through life. Let's say the kid gets to be 30 years old and the conspiracy is so big that they actually are now the CEO of a very large and successful company. In fact, the underlings actually keep the company going, but your child is told, you are a winner, right? You are awesome. You can do everything, but in fact, your child is actually a moron. Some of y'all are like, that's my kid, right? Okay? Now, question. Let's imagine that this kid, we'll call him Moro, alright? Short for the Greek word moron, alright? Goes through the child's life all the way until old age, and the whole world is in on this kind of like a sick joke, wouldn't it? It would be like a sick joke in telling your child that they are basically like the titanic king of the world. Would that actually be A good life. In the child's mind, they think that they are supremo ultimato. They are the stuff. They are awesome. But in reality, they're a moron. Now, we're going to talk about truth this morning. I'm going to submit to y'all okay? Was that a weird scenario? Some of you are like totally freaked out by that. Here's, Here's the point. Here's the hook. That the truth of the gospel is oftentimes very, very tough to swallow. Is it not? Can I get a witness? Things like you, you are a sinner. Not your mom. Not your dad, not your teacher, not your brother, not your sister, but you are a sinner and you are in guilt. You are guilty before God and you, if God does not save you, if you do not repent of your sins, then God will give you justice. And you, contrary to what God would have, God would desire to save you, but if you reject Him, then God will give you justice, which we know as a place called hell that will continue forever and ever and ever. I don't know anybody in the world that's like, that's so cool, I'm a loser. I just heard that I can't do anything good of myself. I can't be good enough to earn God's favor. Guess what? I am totally and completely lost and separated from God. That's cool. Nobody likes the tough truth until God changes their heart. And there's a lot of people in the world today, and they're going through their life. And they're just like Moro. They've been told by, and we're going to look at some false teachings here in a little bit, they've been told things that are not true, so what they actually think exists doesn't exist, and they don't understand the truth of the Gospel. So what we're going to do is break this passage down. And beginning there in verse 13, we're going to back up just a little bit in terms of our title here is The Warrior's Foundation, The Truth of the Gospel. What is truth? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at how truth ties into the gospel and how we can know or if we can know that there is such a thing as capital T, truth. Or if it's all just depending upon our opinions. And what off all, all of you, especially if you want to live differently than most of the people who simply come to church. Y'all okay with that? Right? People just come, that's something that they do they do. But if you're ready to just really live for Jesus, you might be, if you don't write this down, there's a man named Athanasius who lived, um, he was one of the early church fathers, and it got to be so crazy in the early Christian world that people were saying, a group called Arians, not, not about the Arian race, but the man's name was Arius, and he was saying things like, Jesus was a creation, right? Like one time in the past, God said, you know what? I think I'm going to create Jesus. And so many people were believing that, which in fact, the Bible says that Jesus always existed. Amen? Jesus with the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always, forever, together. The Trinity. And Arius was just slamming against Athanasius. And Athanasius said, no, we believe the Bible. We don't believe what you make up. And they were in this huge debate and someone said to Athanasius, they said, the whole world is against you. How would that make you feel? Imagine if we had all these people in this room and you're standing up here on stage and everybody is just yelling at you, telling you that you're a moron for holding that Jesus is the Son of God. And somebody stands up in the back row and says, the whole world's against you! And guess what Athanasius said? Then I am against the whole world. Don't ever back down from the truth. Amen, church? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. So let's look at in verse 13. So we take it in context. Now, if you've been with us uh, for uh, weeks or months, you notice that we do teaching, all right? In terms of preaching, what's the difference? Preaching is high-octane teaching, all right? And we're fired up about it. What we do is we take the Bible and we walk through it step-by-step, word-by-word, verse-by-verse, so that you can see where I'm getting my stuff. Y'all okay with that? Instead of Jeff just pulling random scriptures and ripping them out of their context, we walk together through the Bible. So verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. What's the purpose? So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now it says to take up how much of the armor of God in verse 13? Take up the what? The whole Every kit and caboodle. And why would we take the whole armor of God on? Notice it says, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. This word stand is a really cool term um, in the Greek New Testament. What it literally means, it's a military term term that means to take your stand against an opposing force. Any football players here? Alright. The linemen take their stand... Okay? Okay? Against the linebackers. They take their stand. If you're a lineman, you don't want the opposing players to get to your hoop. Quarterback, you're going to protect him. That is my, my friend. You will not touch him. And the linebackers are trying to oppose uh, the linemen. To stand firm. In fact, this same word is used in the Bible. If you want to jot this down in your notes. In Acts chapter 13, verse 8, there was a sorcerer. Kind of freaky case, if you want to go read it later. The sorcerer actually opposed the teaching of the gospel, and the word that the Bible uses is that he opposed. It's the same word here. So, he opposed the truth, but what we as followers of Christ are supposed to do is with the truth oppose the lies of Satan. And also in 2 Timothy 3, verse 8, it goes back to the Old Testament. There were two men... um, They were Janus and Jambres. They opposed Moses. They stood against the truth. And also, um, we think in terms, okay, so if you can stand against the truth, then that means that you stand for a lie, right? But we as followers of Christ, we stand for Christ, and therefore we stand for truth. What it literally is speaking of here is that God takes a person who has no strength and makes them into a warrior. If any of you remember the classic movie, Karate Kid, what did Mr. Miyagi do with Daniel's son? He took the kid who was always getting beat up and he trained him into... It's like he took a weakling, okay? And he made a warrior. And if any of you have ever tried to do the kick, right? At the end, that does not work, okay? You will get beat up every time. That's just in the movies. But it's taking God is taking someone who has no strength to make them strong. It's literally saying that God's armor will back us up remember when I was a kid, uh, we were living in North Carolina, and it was actually at church, at church. And, and there was this kid who came, this bigger kid who came over, and he just pushed me, wanted to fight. I was scared. You know, sometimes when you're a kid and it, something just happens, you just have that fear. Well, all of a sudden, my friend Chris Fryreer, that's an awesome name, isn't it? It always used to embarrass him. His dad would, his dad would introduce him and say, yeah, Kevin Fryer, just like if you back into a stove. And he's like, oh, Dad, come on. you know." Um, so my friend Chris Fryer comes flying across the room. And I don't know if it was like a chest tackle or, or a shove. But he just, bam, I mean, knocked that kid out of the way. And the kid was so scared, he didn't do anything. Chris just kind of stood there. I was like, wow, that was cool. You know what the picture is here? God has your back. You know why? Because we took discovered before this is not just pieces, and you know, like like salvation, the helmet, like you get saved, and then there's like this thing called the the sword, the word of God. So I got my helmet and got my sword, and I got no what it is, it's Christ. That means that when you get saved, you get salvation. You get the blessed period of righteousness. He applies His righteousness to you. He gives you His truth because Jesus says, I am the way the what? Help me out. The truth. You see, you get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, since Jesus is awesome and Jesus is amazing, Jesus will fight for you. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. If you have your pens, and by the way, um, if you've been here for years, the reason why we have the outline, the bulletin, is so you can take this home and to teach others. Because there are two types of people listen to a sermon. And if you're not saved, this is your first time back at church, this does not apply to you. This applies to our veterans. You will either be a sponge or you will be a conduit. This, this morning, is so that you can be a conduit. So that's why we have it there. Here's, a, here's something to write down. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. This is an amazing text when we think about standing against the lies of Satan. The Bible says, "...humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you." Casting, this is so cool. So, all right, first we're supposed to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. And then it says, in verse 7, "...casting all of your cares upon Him." Because he cares for you. This morning, God cares for you. He wants you to cast your burdens on him, but what Satan will try to get you to do is to carry your own burdens that God says, I can take away. The text begins also in verse 8. Be sober minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, look, check out this wording prowls around. All right, girls, like those creepy guys, prowls around. If you got any creepy guys, let us know and me and the deacons will make a visitation. Amen, church. We have no problem with that. Alright. Probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. We'll just go on. <laughs> Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like, notice, like a roaring lion. Now, I'm not a roaring lion expert, but what I've been told is that sometimes there are old lions. I'm going to... Get right out of that, because some, why are well, you talking about old people, Brother Jeff? I didn't call you old, you just did So, um, old lion, well, well, his job is to roar, and, and the animals are frightened of the old grouchy lion, and they actually run into the teeth and the fangs and the claws of the young Lions. So Satan, what he wants to do is roar at us, but a roar, if you get down technical, it's nothing more than a bunch of hot air, right? So he prowls around like a roaring lion, and here's what it says in verse number 8. Seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy your life. Is that rocket science or what? <laughs> Satan wants to destroy your life. because here, here, Here's how it works. If he can destroy your life, He can destroy your potential to bring God glory and to live the abundant life that Jesus has for you. And if Satan can devour you, devour you by things like depression and and telling you that God doesn't care and that this situation cannot be fixed, things like pride. Oh, no, they didn't. You got to stick up for yourself, girl oh no, no, he did not say that. If he says that, and that's the way it happens. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to devour each and every one of us. And he does it by appealing to our sinful desires and he's seeking for someone to devour. One of the ways that Satan devours a lot of people is by plain old distraction. I mean, can you imagine all of the things that we can be distracted by today? Think about it. All of the things that can simply pull our mind from focusing on living out God's Word, that's the only thing that really makes a difference in the end, and living our lives for simply peanuts. Simply things that y- y- you look at and it, it doesn't end up worth anything. And he says in verse 9, so Satan is seeking for someone to devour. And in verse 9 he says, resist him. It's the same word, stand firm. Firm in your faith, knowing... Alright, so if I'm resisting Satan, I've got to be knowing something. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the lies that Satan tries to tell us is that the things that we struggle with, the difficult circumstances, you are a total freak and no one ever struggles with that. You are alone and God thinks that you are an absolute loser. You know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. Knowing when I resist Satan, that there are other people experiencing persecution and suffering. So, within that, there is solidarity in the Gospel and that we resist Satan because we know that we are not alone. And in Luke chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to, here's the same word, to withstand or contradict. James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist, same word, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So resist the devil with what? The armor of God. Resist him with Christ. Believe the promises of God and act upon them. Hey, I don't know if you guys remember back when you first learned to swim. Does anybody remember that terrifying moment? Back when you were a kid? I remember it. I was a little bit older. You know, than than most kids are to learn Um, 19. I'm just kidding. And, uh, and I remember my my dad was there and he he was like, jump, I'll catch you. But, but just that fear, you know, that, that fear that, but what if he, what if he doesn't, you know, and I, and I sink and the dad's like, where is he? Where is he? You know, and I'm down there and I'm like, I I don't want, no, no, I'm good right here. But right. The parent or whoever taught you said, jump, jump. And finally we did what? Jump. Some of y'all, like, I never jumped and I'm still not getting in the water right now, okay? When we jumped, we literally based our belief on their ability and we acted upon it. That's what the text is speaking of when a tough truth is you have to place your faith in Christ is better than a slick lie of you can do it without Jesus. And then notice the text goes on. Here's our text for today, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Stand. You know what we need today? We need men and women who are willing to stand. Amen, church? We need people who are willing to say, you know what? I'm going to stand on the truth of God's Word no matter what. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back up. Pastor Johnny Hunt put on a, a great movement several years ago about seeing people saved and it was called, Whatever It Takes... Now, many people in church, they'll say, well, we're willing to do whatever it takes as long as I'm comfortable, right? As long as everything is like the way it's always been so that I don't get one bit uncomfortable, I'm cool with that. But what if it means that God using possibly a different way of ministry reaches your kids who are not in church? Are you willing to do that? How far are we willing to go? We're not talking about violating God's Word, but how far are we willing to go? How far are we willing to be uncomfortable? How much are we willing to serve if it means people, your friends and your family, coming to true faith in Jesus Christ? Not just coming to church, but coming to a place to where they truly follow Jesus. Notice this phrase there in verse 14. Having fastened on the belt of truth. If you're reading the King James, it says this, uh, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, back in the day, they wore robes. And if you were going to do some fighting or some running, you had to gird your loins. That means kind of pull your skirt up and wrap it around. That means that you can't really do a lot of fighting in a dress. Get ready. Prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind. Get ready. And notice, it also says there in verse 15, we've got the belt of truth and... As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Simply put, it means that we're supposed to be ready to share the gospel. Now, a lot of us are ready to share our opinions, right? You ever been around somebody and they always like to talk about their opinions? Well, in my mind, what I think is, well, this is what, you know what? We should be ready to share the gospel, Share the Gospel and give it to people so that they can be saved. And before we experience, notice what it says, the Gospel of What is it there? The Gospel of what? Peace. Before we experience peace, here's what has to happen. God has to do violence to our sinful nature by running it through with the sword of the Spirit. That simply means that we need to be convicted of sin, come to the place of repentance, repent, and through that, God kills, makes us new, He changes us radically to be a new creation. And that's the cool thing because sometimes it's so easy, isn't it, to get into things and say, well, I'm going to start doing better. But the Bible says that the gospel is of peace, but there has to be war before there can be peace if there's an enemy. And God desires to do that in every single person's life. Now notice back in verse number 14, it's the belt of what? Truth. Truth. The belt of truth. Truth here, what it refers to in the Greek New Testament, the word is aletheia. Now, atheist is one who doesn't believe in what? Right. So if you're a theist, you believe in whom? God. If you're an atheist, it negates it so you don't believe in God. Well, the word here is aletheia. Which it literally means, if you take lanthano, it means to cover or hide something. So if you negate it by the alpha on the front, you're literally saying that truth, this is so cool, is to the unveiling and the opening of something that was once covered. And when Jesus came into the world, He demonstrated the uncovering of every aspect of the nature of God. There's also the Hebrew word emet, which literally means a firm type of faith. Now, also in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at a couple of verses here in the context of this book. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, this is where truth is used. It says in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, I would mark this so you can see the theme of truth throughout this book. In him you also heard You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that the word of truth is what we heard when we heard the gospel that was not watered down. It simply is the truth, right? You heard that phrase, you can't handle the truth. The gospel is the truth that we should handle. And notice also in um, chapter 4, verse 15 of the book of Ephesians, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So, not only is the content of our words supposed to be truth, but the way that when we say truth, it should be loving, right? Have you ever had somebody ask you something really difficult and you're like, I don't know if I should understand, you know, explain it? Sometimes husbands, your wives come to you and they say, honey, does this dress make me look, uh, does it make me. Well, you know, and you're like, you know, it's kind of a hard way to to answer that. Or maybe, you know, somebody says, look, I really want you to to tell me the truth. You're like, I don't know if if the truth would go over. Well, the Bible says that when we communicate the truth, it's supposed to be in love. Because if we really care about a person, we're going to tell them the truth. Ever been driving down the road and somebody's doing this? you got something hanging off of your car that you forgot. You know, your gas cap is still up there. You're out eating with a friend and they're just waxing eloquent and they've got a piece of spaghetti hanging off their chin. And it's wagging. <laughs> and you're trying to help them out. You're like... You know, they're talking about something serious. About quantum mechanics or something. You're like... And you know how awkward it is, right? You don't want to say anything, but it's it's there. And finally you say something it's just like awkward. Like, oh, thanks. And then they're awkward and... Do we really care about people? That, that stuff's kind of funny, but honestly, it's a question. Is sin bad? Will sin kill someone? Will it bring them under the judgment of God? Yes. Is sin damaging to relationships? Big yes. C. Then, if we truly love people, we must communicate the truth and love. But those of us who are from the South, here's where it gets difficult for us. Go to uh, verse... Um, Number 21, there in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Notice what it says Assuming that you have heard about him, meaning Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. If you're from the South, it's difficult sometimes just to be. Here's how it is, isn't it? Because Southern culture, by and large, we say this it's not a big deal. It is so a big deal. And those so not big deals manifest themselves through volcanic anger after being built up for years and years and years. That's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18 that if your brother offends you, go and show him the fault between the two of you. That means that if someone offends you, does you wrong, it is up to you, not them, to see their blind spot. This is so non-Southern culture, but it's up to us to go to them and be like, look! What you did and said really hurt me and here's how and I just got to let you know that. Do we do that? You know the way Southern culture does sometimes? We go tell other people we know will take our side. And so we got this little covert operation going on, right? We got, you know, Treadstone going over here, like Treadstone offended group. And then in the church, some of you guys have seen that clownery, which we do not put up with here. Amen. Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, we do not put up with church drama or clicks. We don't. Have time for it. But you've seen that in other churches, haven't you? You got this group over here and this group over here, and they're trying to steal their pen so they can't fill out the thing in church, and it's just like Jerry Springer on steroids. And most people say, you know what, I think I'll just stay home on Sunday morning. Isn't that the way it works? But if we have assuming that we've been saved, we are not like certain aspects of our culture. We speak the truth in love. Also, chapter 4, verse 25. It says, notice, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Oh no! of these tough truths. For we are all members of one another. This is a weird illustration, but if you decide leaving here to punch yourself in the face, y'all okay with that? I use random illustrations. Some of y'all are still scared after like seven months. The first month I was here, I thought I had done something wrong. Every single... It was like quiet as a, as a graveyard. People, everybody was like this, like why, eyes wide open looking at each other, like, I don't know either. You know, but you guys are loosened up. This. It's, it's going to get more random, alright? Tra- communicate the truth. Imagine if you were at the place in your life and you said, I'm going to punch myself in the face. My face will be punched by my hand. Who wins? Wrong question, right? It's all part of the same body. When the hand gets Hit when the face runs into the glass wall. That's funny. Alright? I just got to say, have you ever seen that happen before? It's very bad, but that's funny. If you've ever stubbed your toe, if you've ever uh, deadened your leg on (laughs) on a coffee table in the middle of the night, you don't sit there and say, you know what? My leg is hurt, but boy, the rest of me, I'm great. You know? I'm fully functional. Every part of the body is connected to the whole in the same way the Bible says, that's why, please hear me, We as Christians must speak the truth to each other because when one person suffers, the whole body suffers. That's why on Sunday mornings, in Sunday school, on Wednesday nights, we at Rocky Mount Baptist Church will be real. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sure you can find a plastic preacher somewhere within Southwest Virginia and he will totally give you vain platitudes the whole time. You can go out feeling great about yourself and never be challenged to do anything but not here. Amen, church? Chapter 5, verse 9. Truth shows up again. Notice what it says in Ephesians. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That means that every good blessing that God has for us in our lives is found in the truth. In chapter 5, verse 9, that is an incredibly powerful verse. And Then we flip over to where we are today in chapter 14. That's why it says to fasten on the belt of truth and if we could bring somebody, you know, some, some really some male specimen, Lane Dillon, or I don't know, up here, and we were to dress him out fully in this armor, you would have to, if you put on the whole thing, you would need the belt to hold it all together. And the point of the passage is that truth holds everything together. Because if Jesus really can't save us, is it true? No. If Jesus is really not righteous, if He was not born of a virgin, if Jesus really didn't live a sinful life, then righteousness is a fable. If the Bible has errors in it, this would not be a sword. This would be one of those noodles that you beat each other with around the pool, right? If there was no truth, there would be no Christ, and there would be no God, and there would be no gospel, and it would just not matter. Nothing would matter. So here's the question that most people ask. They say, Jeff, is truth possible? Is there really something such as capital T truth? I've heard this so often. Well, it's all a matter of individual opinion. I have my truth and you have your truth. And no one can say that their truth is better than someone else's, else's truth. You say, well, what about morality? Morality is relative to the individual. That means for some people it's okay to commit adultery. For others it's not. It's depending upon the person. Here's what you do to that person. You steal their iPod. Seriously, think about it. If morality is dependent upon each individual, then if your truth is you like to steal iPods, then what's wrong with stealing their iPod? And guess what you'll find with a relativist? A person who doesn't believe that truth really exists. If you scratch him, you'll find a moralist. It's true. And then the response is like, well, no, 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 Jeff. Truth is up to you or up to your culture as long as it doesn't affect another person. Well, now, hold on. Who gave you the right to say that truth is relative only if? it doesn 't affect another person, you see that the nature of that, and you say well that 's a self defeating statement that 's a contradiction in terms to say that all morality is always relative. They say, well now Jeff, no no, no what you 're trying to I know what you 're trying to do you 're trying to use a philosophical syllogism, a western logic related argument against me i don 't believe in logic that 's where it goes doesn 't it you say all right cool, all right let 's try this. <clears throat> Ready? Alright. 2 plus 2 is 4. And they're like, what are you doing? You say, or I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5 zillion. And they're like, what are you talking about? Say, if there is no inherent logic, and by the way, God and who He is, that's where logic comes from. If God did not exist, there would be no way that we could really make um, any distinction in anything. If God is real, then God is the one who instills reason within us. And if God has not given us logic, has not created a world in which there is reason, there is 2 plus 2 equals 4, there is something such as true and false, then you could say something like this, I believe that Pete Rose, when he gambled, he went out and he rode upon a dinosaur. And after he got off the dinosaur, the dinosaur jumped on the plane. And then in mid-flight, the plane turned into Superman. And then Superman came down, and my goodness, he showed up, and he became the president of GM. And that's how the world came to be. And you say, I don't know what you're smoking, but you probably need to stop. If truth does not exist, that crazy, bizarre scenario that those of you who are serious-minded, you're still not able to get over that, you're still lost out in Netherworld that would be just as good of a theory as in the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. If there is no logic and if there is no truth, you think about another scenario. If truth does not exist, then imagine if the Nazis won World War II. Imagine they won. Normandy invasion. Stop cold. They end up taking over the whole world and brainwashing everyone to say that the Holocaust is actually a good thing. Question, would it still be right? What if every school child was was taught beginning at the age of three that it is a good thing? Praise be to the Nazis for committing what we know as the Holocaust. If the whole world believed it was morally the thumbs-up thing to do, would that make it right? No. So truth is not dependent upon an individual or a culture, but truth is a person, and he is his name is Jesus Christ. So the question, what is God like? God, when we look at Jesus, we know what God is. Notice um, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That means this is so huge. When Jesus came to be born into the world and He lived His life, that's how we know what God is like because Jesus is the Son of God. That's the about me section on who God is. That's how we see what God thinks about sin. That's what we think. see. what God How merciful. Amen. Isn't that so cool? You see Jesus giving mercy. That's who God is because Jesus is Son of God. See, Jeff, how are we changed by truth? Well, truth, when we receive it, truth is something that changes us because it aligns us what, with, with what reality actually is. So finally, very quickly as we um, sum this up, some application points, the Gospel of Truth of Christ calls us to do this to truly live for the first time. It says to put on, prepare your feet with the gospel. Imagine if you went into a battle barefoot that wouldn't work very good, would it? You get cut up, you'd slip down, you have no mobility. so the point is for us as believers we have we don't have to it's not an obligation, but we get to share the gospel. And do you know what we would see if we really truly grabbed a hold of this? If all of us together, we just fell in love with Jesus and we were changed by His truth? If we begin to die to ourselves, those friends that we have and teammates and co-workers, we would see those people as people who Christ died for and who He loved. And we would use our jobs and our lives in such a way that we're trying to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus. We pray for them. We would have people, please hear this, like every week, get saved. We've got a good-sized group here this morning. And the races are even going in Martinsville. You know you're a redneck if. Y'all alright? But if we really fell in love with Jesus, we begin to live by dying to ourselves. To share the Gospel. Even if we don't know how, we don't know big words, we just share it as best we know how. We would see people saved every single week. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Secondly, the gospel of truth enables us to truly fight against Satan. Here's what, any of you all read Machiavelli? Here's a, you never never heard him quoted from a Baptist pulpit before, but here's his quote. He says, Men are of so simple mind, and am so much dominated by their immediate needs that a deceitful man will find plenty who are ready to be deceived. You know what that simply says? That without the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will, as the words of the country song, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for, help me out, anything. And there are people, if it wasn't so sad, it would be downright funny. Wouldn't it? You see some of the things that people are falling for today? New age religion. I am God. We're in a world of hurt if you are. I can become one with God by sitting around a tree. and and, Seriously. Seriously. the quota, I was going to read several weeks ago about a guy who was um, into uh, a New Age movement. And he actually, he says, I found a rattlesnake. I don't know how he didn't get bit, but he says, I curled up next to this rattlesnake. And he was calmed by my warmth and I felt as one with the world. Yeah, that's what I thought too. There are people today who are going through things like false religion. Trying to find some way to gain peace with God. To find truth, but truth is in Christ. To truly fight against Satan. God will give you through the armor of God, through Christ, the weapons and the defenses to fight against Satan. But if we refuse to accept and believe the truth, we will be literally naked on a battlefield and it won't go well. Number three, to truly be different from the world. I think this is so amazing. That... um, through the gospel, we can be different. There was a guy named Phil in my class this past week, and he, he said something I was, thought was so profound. We were talking about atheists and Frederick Nietzsche and, and many of these people who have spent their whole lives, philosophers, denying the existence of God and the deity of Jesus. They've rejected Christ's love. And here's what, and I asked Phil, I said, can I quote you on that? He said, absolutely. I wrote this down. Here, here's what he said He said, The most ignorant man who receives the gospel is wise. And the most brilliant man who rejects the Gospel becomes a fool. Let let, let me read that one more time. He said, the most ignorant man who receives the Gospel is wise. But the most brilliant man who rejects the Gospel becomes a fool. You have nothing to be afraid of when you face atheist professors, when you know people in this world who say that you're basically crazy for believing in Jesus, you don't have anything to be afraid of because the Bible says that it's the Gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Let me make a quick note here about what you see most often on TBN. You see people on TBN, I hate to call them preachers, um, but they're asking, especially some of you who are retired, to send in your Social Security check Give a seed of $100 so that God will give you tenfold back. They are using God to get to their true God, which is money. Never will you hear those men mention the fact of knowing God and enjoying Him for who He is. And that even if you're the poorest person in the world, if you have Jesus, you are rich you see them trying to take 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 they rip the bible out of context they abuse god's word and there is one thing and i'm just going to make you can put me on the record there's one thing that these so-called preachers who take the Bible out of context and try to steal from old women and people on a fixed income by lying to them and telling them to send in a so-called seed so that this so-called preacher can give them a prayer cloth. There's one thing that that preacher is going to want the second after he dies and it's an air conditioner. I'm serious. There is nothing Seriously, there's nothing in the Word of God that puts money above God, but you see them using God to get to their true God, which is money. The gospel is about giving. Amen, Church. We are here to give to the community, to send missionaries around the world. We are not here to take. Um, I um, had this book from Miss Page. It's by it says John Lee Taylor, minister and missionary. And this was the, the man who um, God brought to found this church. And I wrote down the date. It was August 19th, 1879. Rocky Mount Baptist Church was established. And here's what one of his friends said about him. I want to read this to you. It's a very old book. And I love old books. You can smell them and you kind of get smarter. Some of y'all know that old book smell. He said, here's what his friend said. He labored always... In difficult places, but he was willing to spend and be spent in doing his master's will. The things he accomplished are almost unbelievable. Now back in eighteen seventy nine, may have been a few stills. There wasn't very much around here. We didn't have our world famous McDonald's, amen. That's a rockin' McDonald's. Didn't have our Chinese restaurant. Students, there weren't even any cell phone towers for you to text to your friends. It was essentially a wilderness, small town. But God laid it upon a man's heart to step out and actually live out the truth. And he founded what we today are a part of, and that's Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And his friends said he was willing to spend and to be spent. The question today, are you willing to be spent for the gospel of Christ? Are you willing to commit? Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to believe?